Thank you, uh, Keith, for doing that. Uh, last week, we wrapped up uh, chapters 25 and 26. Anybody have any uh, thoughts about what we did last week, if you can remember back that far? Uh, chapter 26 was where, yet again, David had spared Saul, uh, had the opportunity to kill him, and he says, I'm not going to do that. Anybody have any thoughts, any comments, any questions about anything uh, there? All right. Okay. We're going to get into brand new material. If just kind of glance at 27. 27 is a short chapter. We're in 1 Samuel, and chapter 27 is only 12 verses. Chapter 28 is uh, twice as long and then one. And then chapter 29 is also very brief. So we have, I think, ample time to cover this material well. Now, one of the things that Mitch said, and uh, he's not here to defend himself, is that I was going to answer all the questions about chapter 28, about witchcraft and sorcery and, and things of the sort. I do have a few comments about it, but I wanted to make sure that you have opportunity to make comments as well. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at 27 briefly. 28 in more detail, 29 very briefly. We may only spend five minutes in chapter 29, depending on how much time we have. Uh, I want to look at three key lessons that are learned and then three key applications that we can make. So that's kind of our objective in our, in our, in our study tonight. Let's start in chapter 27. How does it start out? What is David's attitude in the first verse or two of chapter 27? Or what's his... Um, uh, emotional complexion is fear, uh, trepidation, uncertainty. Uh, verse, verse 1 actually says, I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Is what David is feeling and expressing valid and or truthful? And that may be a trick question, and I don't mean it to be a trick question, uh, but I, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago as I was preparing uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. So he says, I, I'm going to perish someday by the hand of Saul. Is that true? Okay, we know... We know that God has provided for David repeatedly. And what else happened with uh, David very early on was that he was going to be the king at some point, right? And so we know that that's a promise that God is, has made and a promise that God is going to keep. Okay? This is after, just to put everything in context, just as a reminder, this is after the kind of seminal event. Uh, of David's life in chapter 17 with Goliath, the big uh, thing that happened there. So he's already shown himself to be a character that God has blessed. And so this idea of saying that I'm going to die, it may have been just a low point in David's life, some have suggested. Verse 2, David arose and went over to the, with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the king of Gath. We'll talk about him in just a moment. David dwelt with Achish, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, uh, one of whom was Abigail, that we talked about uh, last week. And it was told Saul that David had fled 
to Gath, and what did Saul do from that point forward, at least initially? He says, all right, he's gone, he's out of my hair, he's over somewhere else, he's no longer uh, a part of me or a part of my problem. How does um, David going to Achish, how is that received by the Philistines? How are they, what's their reaction? Very good. Achish has this um, perception about David as being very truthful, forthright, honest, integrity. And rather than saying, I'm scared that David is here, he's actually quite welcoming to him, is he not? In fact, one of the first points that I wanted to make is that David goes to King Achish and is welcomed by the Philistines. Let's read in verse 5. David says, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So he's kind of really, what's he saying there? I think I know what he's saying. What is he saying there in verse 6? Yeah, he's, he's buttering him up and giving him praise Saying, hey, you're, you're a great king. I don't deserve to live in the same town that you live in. Um, so Achish gave him Ziklag that day. And therefore, Ziklag, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Anybody have any questions? This, this, I, I was teaching a class yesterday of uh, mostly 13 to 18-year-old uh, men. And I said, we're going to play Guess What I'm Thinking. Anybody have a question about the second part of verse 6? This is where you have to guess what's in my mind. At this point, there's no such thing as kings of Israel and kings of Judah, right? Let me rephrase it. There's no such thing as a divided kingdom. There is a prophecy of divided kingdom, right? Because Saul's been told that it's going to be torn away, it, that, it's going to, that things are going to transpire down the road. I say that because it seems as if whoever authored this Samuel and, and or the Holy Spirit, of course, inserted that in there so that we would have the context to, to appreciate that. So that's just one thing I thought of. The time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was for how long? A year and four months. And by my calculation... David goes and lives in Ziklag, living in the land of Philistines for 16 months. Uh, what is, uh, we're not going to read the last uh, five or six verses of chapter 27, but what happens in the final three, four, five verses of chapter 27? It's a narrative describing what? Right. We're, and we're going to get into, we'll get into that in chapter 29 a little bit more even. The key point here is how, how successful is David? He's very successful, right? Uh, I put up there that David is successful in, I use the word secretly defeating enemies of Israel. And what kind of hope does he give to Achish is, is a false hope. Uh, in fact, in verse... What, what does David do to the, to the inhabitants of the enemy cities and encampments? He kills all of them. 
He leaves no trace. He leaves no evidence as to what has transpired. And Achish is like, he, he, in fact, he says, um, Achish believed David, going back to what Ms. Sherry said earlier, verse 12, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he'll be my servant forever. So we're going to talk a little, make an application about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, like I said, we're going to spend most of our time on 28, which we're going to get into here in the next 10 to 15 seconds. But other thoughts on 27, things that I haven't uh, covered. Because I know we breezed through that rather rather quickly here. But, Carrie, uh, Just two comments, maybe, on verse 1. Um, I think this period of what David is going through and how he's maybe reasoning through his thought process, very typical of, of man. And I think we can learn from this. And I guess what I'm trying to say is David has been blessed by God. In previous times, he's had extreme faith. I mean, it's mm-hmm. David who killed Goliath and obviously attributed it to, to God. But he's been blessed. He's been protected. He's had success in various military pursuits. But yet, here is, to your point, is a low point in his life. Uh, and he's been oppressed by Saul, so he's experienced or is experiencing tragedy in his life. Mm-hmm. But he's not able to reason through this to really have a full faith that God is going to bring him through this. And so he's almost experiencing the woe is me. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, a very good uh, point. So I think that's a lesson. This is a man after God's own heart, and he's still doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we need to recognize that, that we can do the same thing as well. Okay. Then the second comment that I would just make is when you, in verse five, when you talk about um, David buttering up Achish. I'm not so sure he's buttering him up. Okay. It may be an example of his humility. I think that's fair. So, I mean, it could be either way, but I think we've got to understand that it could be an either. That certainly would fit with David's personality, right? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent thoughts. Very good. Anything else on 27? Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Sam up here in the front. So the way I look at David not wanting to be, like, in town, in the city, mm-hmm. was so that he would have more freedom, him yeah. and his men, to right. go and do what they were going to do. Right. That, that's how I've always understood I think that's, that. I think that's fair as well. Yep. Very good. Okay. Let's go ahead and move to chapter 28, which is uh, by far uh, the more challenging of the chapters that we're reading. Uh, It may not be challenging. We may look at this and say it makes perfect sense, and I have no problems with it whatsoever. Uh, There are some questions that people raise sometimes. Uh, I'm not sure that we're going to answer every objection or deal with every issue. Um, But for background, I wanted us to go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and read about five verses. What is the problem in, in 10 seconds? What's the problem with it? Well, okay, let, let's back up. What is a medium? And don't say it's in between a small and a large. What's a medium? It's 
Say again? A fortune teller. Yeah, for, uh, kind of like a fortune teller. What other words might we use? Soothsayer. Some people use the W word, right? A witch. Uh, some people call this the witch of indoor. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that's inappropriate to say that. That word is not necessarily used on, on different occasions in different versions of, of 1 Samuel 28. Um, but what's the problem? Before we read Deuteronomy 18, let's pretend that we were completely void of biblical knowledge. Didn't know about Deuteronomy 18. Didn't know about Exodus 22, verse 19, I think it is, where you're supposed to kill them and destroy them. What's the problem with a medium, a soothsayer, a, a wizard, or a witch? There's no such thing, right? It's a claim to false deity or to a belief in something that is different than God. It's putting faith and an allegiance in, in a man-made trickery uh, concept as opposed to I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Anything else at the outset before we actually dive into the text? Text plural. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy. Because I thought this was uh, an interesting text to just kind of set the stage. And again, pretend that Brian didn't do a good job on Deuteronomy or pretend that you've never read Deuteronomy before or you've never read Exodus 22. Um, And I want to read verses 9 through 14 very rapidly. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, okay, that's the promised land, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall be not found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. And as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So it's pretty black and white, right? Don't involve yourself in this kind of practice. Get rid of them. Because like so many other things, it's all about the influence. You don't want to be influenced by false teachings and false ideas. So stay away from that. All right. How does chapter 28, um, verse 3 begin? Chapter 28, verses 1 and 2 is in many ways a continuation just of of what's happened. Um, But how does chapter 28, verse 3 begin? Samuel is dead. So that to me is an important marker. Anytime a major figure in the Bible dies, and then the Bible says, and Moses died, and Samuel died, or Gideon died, or whoever the case may be, uh, it is pause for something big could now happen. Not necessarily will it happen, but something big could happen. And if it's a righteous person who has died, it leaves kind of a vacuum wherein uh, unrighteousness can prevail. That was Judges 21-25. There was no king, no leader. There was no, there was no Joshua. There was no Moses. There was no Aaron. And the people did what was right in their own eyes. So I think it's an important precursor to the account that follows. Um, verse 4 says, The Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem, 
So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. His heart trembled greatly. And verse 6 is a verse that is troubling if you stop reading at the end of verse 6, at least to me. Because the first time I read it, I was like, huh, why? Until you read on and you get the whole, the whole picture. But verse 6 by itself sounds potentially cruel. When Saul inquired of the Lord, what does it mean that he inquired of the Lord, by the way, in, in your words? He's asking. He's saying, I need guidance. I need protection. What am I going to do here, right? Um, so was that good of Saul to do? Was that the right uh, thing for him to do? I see some heads nodding yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's always good to inquire of the Lord. Oh, I didn't put that up there yet, did I? But what happens? What happens, to the, what happens with the answer? There's no answer. Verse 6 says, The Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. What's the Urim, by the way? One of the, one of the stones. You have the Thummim and you have the Urim, right? And in the breastplate. And we read that elsewhere in Scripture that not to be confused... But it's a way in which, and there's some mystery about that. I wrote an article about it years ago. I probably should go back and read it so I can refresh my memory uh, of figuring out what the Lord wanted them to do. So the Lord speaks sometimes by prophets. Uh, is there a time where the Lord spoke by, uh, and I'm thinking of one in particular, by lots being cast? What am I thinking of? Apostles, right? Matthias was chosen. That wasn't by chance. They didn't roll the dice and say, is it Matthias or is it the other guy? You know, I mean, I mean they, they may have done some sort of activity, but it was the Lord dictating who the person should be. It wasn't just leaving it up to chance. It was asking the Lord either by prophets or by the breastplate or, or by some sort of a dream because God did communicate through dreams as well, did he not? Going back to Genesis uh, as well. So verse 7 says, Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. We'll get to part 2 of verse 7. What's wrong with this? Aside from the fact that it's a violation of Deuteronomy 18 and Exodus 22, what else is wrong with this passage? Uh, what's wrong with what Saul's doing here? See, say the last thing. It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Yeah. Very good. Yes, Miss Janita. Okay. I hadn't thought of it that way. Saul is using God like 911, she said. You know, uh, most of us don't call 911 just for the fun of it. Uh, sometimes you may do it accidentally and you get, uh, and you hang up and then you get a call back in a few minutes and you're like, oh, I, I, everyone's probably done that at least once or twice if you. Especially if you, I have once or twice. Anybody else ever, ever done that? Okay, I see a couple of hands. So I thought that I was crazy. Now I know I'm not crazy. Nobody say anything. Um, so I think what we need to appreciate here is indeed the hypocrisy, uh, the, the despondency, 
the lack of respect that Saul has, Saul could have, what, what could Saul have done in verse 7 to make things better than going directly from A to Z? What could he have done? Yeah, Tony? Okay. He could have done like other people in the past and said, we need to appease God. We need to sacrifice to God. Uh, go to a priest, for example, if that's available. Um, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is Saul says, let's do what the Lord wants us to do. Lord, you're not there. All right, fine. Well, I'll do what I want to do. As opposed to maybe there's a reason that God's not answering me. That should have been verse 7, it it seems to me. There should have been some pondering either out loud or within his heart. And he says, oh, yeah, I've done some things back in chapter 15, for example, that have led to this happening and other places as well. Brother Kerry? That's what I was going to bring up. He has a history of not waiting on God. Correct. And we know that the greatest teacher about waiting on the Lord is none other than besides Christ, is is David, it seems to me. He's the one, the psalmist, that repeatedly says, wait, trust in the Lord, be patient with the Lord. So so certainly note Saul's immediate reaction, and the lessons to learn are that we need to be patient with God. We need to, when we don't get what we want, let's die over here, when we don't get what we want, We need to evaluate that we're not in violation of James 4, asking amiss. And sometimes we need need to be cautious about the idea, and I've talked about this 20 times. Here's the 21st time. Just because we do not get the answers to the prayers that we want doesn't mean that God hasn't answered our prayers accordingly. He's just answering them in a way that is different than what we want. But if if, if it's always good for us to kind of step back and say, is there something that I'm doing wrong here? In my relationship with God, where I can improve. Uh, Miss Diana. Maybe everyone here will disagree with me, but I think Saul was going to the dark side. Okay. There is power in Satan. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's, it's, it's a dark power, but that's, that's my idea of what he's doing. He's going to the dark side, and he's going to get there one way or the other. Sure. And that's the way he chose. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is a progression and a rapid progression from doing what the Lord would want him to do if he was ever in that space to not doing what the Lord wants him to do. Spoiler alert, how does Saul's life come to an end? Not well, not, not well right? Yeah. They, they find him leaning on a spear, right? They find him, his dead body on a spear. So I, I just say that because I, th- I think this, this idea of lightness and darkness is, is very appropriate. So we get to verse, eight, uh, verse, verse 7, part B. His servant said, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself. Why does he disguise himself in verse 8? Yeah. So she, she, he knows that he's not going to probably get a very receptive Audience, when he goes to the the wizard, the the sorcerer, the witch, whatever you want to call her, 
uh, he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, please conduct a, this is the New King James, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. How does the woman react in verse 9? Wait a minute, right? You're laying a trap. I use the two words cautious and nervousness to associate, to, to symbolize what's going on here. She's like, whoa, wait, wait just a minute here. And there's other times in the scriptures where we see this kind of thing. It says, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And then... Saul, and I, and I appreciate what Miss Diana said, this idea of progressing towards more and more darkness, more and more ugliness, more and more spiritual depravity. He says, I swear to you by whom? Hmm. That's, that's troubling, right? I swear to you by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And so the woman answers and says, whom shall I bring up for you? And who does he ask for? Going back to verse 3. Ask for Samuel. And so in verse 12, what happens? This is, this is a classic, I wish it was on tape moment. I, and I wish that the audio was available for this in verse 12. She is shocked. I put up there, verse 12, the surprise that the woman experienced, the surprise that she felt. In fact, the New King James uses the phrase, she cried out with a loud voice. That's what I wanted to hear. I, I want to I hear that. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, I have a feeling it was more than just, oh. No, I think it was, you, you imagine your most blood-curdling scream, and that's, I think, what's going on here. She is surprised. What does that tell us? about her she's fake and what does that tell us about the experience that she's witnessing it's real right that that, that's true and that really goes to the crux of the issue or issues that sometimes people have at least uh i didn't spend a lot of time going down the uh proverbial rabbit holes of chapter 28 but there are some concerns over was this really samuel or was this a representation of samuel how does the bible portray it it portrays it as samuel and so that's the interpretation that i would take i wouldn't be you know um overly dogmatic and that if someone says well i'm not sure you know for because there's some other pieces of the puzzle that you can put in there but i think it's interesting that here in verse 12 the woman spoke says why have you deceived me you are saul i know who you are now verse 13 the king said to her, and I, I, I want to know the, the, the timing and the inflection. Do not be afraid. What did you see? To me, that's just very almost cold. Don't be afraid. What did you see? <laughs> that's, that's the way I read it. I don't know about you. Um, she says, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. What is his form? It's an old man coming up. He is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now, 
It doesn't say the figure of Samuel. It says in verse 15, it says, and Samuel said. So that's where we kind of go to the point that, well, it seems to be Samuel, uh, which, is, which lends itself to why this one was a surprise. I've, I've never seen this work this well before. This is, this is amazing, except this is frightening. It bothers me. Uh, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Which, I don't know, to me it's a little... There's different words I can use for verse 15, but I just find that interesting. Why are you disturbing me by bringing me up? Saul answered, and he says, I am deeply distressed. And I find it interesting that Saul just has a conversation (laughs) as if he's talking to you or me who are alive in the flesh. I am deeply distressed. The Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then verse 16, we see where Samuel explains why the Lord didn't answer Saul. And in short, what is that the next three, four, five verses? Paraphrase that, kind of put that in 10 seconds worth of material. You did not, there you go. That's, that's two seconds. He did not obey. You did not obey in the past. You have uh, continued to be hypocritical, to use the word that Carrie used. Uh, you have continued to be disobedient. And now you want to call on God and think he's just, you can just call on him when it's convenient, but live your life however you want to the rest of the time. Now, there's a big application for us that we can make because people do that today and even in the religious world i want to be somewhat religious so i can call on god when i get sick or when someone dies or someone else is about to die and i don't want that to happen but i don't want to be very spiritually minded the rest of the time and unfortunately we can do that too we can have that attitude as well if we're not careful um how does saul react Down in about verse 20. He's distraught. He's distressed. Discouraged. Uh, What other words would we use? What word did I use here? Uh, Dismay. (laughs) I forgot I used that. Another D word. I'm on a roll. Saul was completely in dismay. Uh, The Bible, the New King James doesn't use the word faint, I don't think, does it? Fell, but he ultimately, what I in my mind, he he's he's collapsing. Verse twenty says, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten any food all day or all night. Thoughts on that? I just I just I mean I want to open this up for your thoughts on what just happened. We'll provide another opportunity for that here in just a second. I wanted to just, um, I didn't say anything about verses 21 through the end of the chapter, but what happens in the last five verses? Um, And I'm not sure what the point is. I I have some thoughts, but he hadn't eaten, he hadn't hadn't, uh, consumed any water, he's fainting, and what does the woman suggest? Encourages him to eat, and he's reluctant to do so. Until finally, uh, they convince him to eat. Uh, verse 23, 
Uh, he heeded their voice. He arose from the ground, sat on the bed. Um, one thing we did skip over in verses 17, 18, 19. What else does Samuel say to Saul? Say again? Yeah. Okay, he says, things are not going to work out very pleasantly for you, right? He actually says, uh, the Lord will also deliver Israel, verse 19, with you into the hand of Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. We'll allow Mitch to develop that over the course of the next week and, and two weeks. But uh, again, things don't work out very well for Saul. Anything else on uh, uh, Brother, Brother Dan over here? Uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that I'm going to answer every question because I don't know all the answers. I'm just doing my best to try to make some sense of this. Yes, Brother Dan. I just wanted to make a quick parallel to what the last king goes through, Jeremiah 21. Zedekiah has uh, mistreated Jeremiah. He's disregarded the word of God. And then he has the gall to ask Jeremiah to pray for a miracle, basically. And it, it's really a parallel to a principle. I want to read from a couple of verses. Proverbs 28, verse 9, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And then also Zechariah 7, verse 13, As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. So now Saul is a spiritual castaway having suffered shipwreck. And he, goes, he illustrates Excellent. the futility of a life without God. Excellent. And I'm really glad that Dan brought that up for a couple of reasons. One is what happens to Zedekiah? Things, he goes and lives in retirement in a nice retirement home and, and no. Gets taken captive. His eyes are gouged out, right? I mean, it's, it's just an ugly, ugly scene. The second thing is, um, um, I've, I'm forgetting now. This is what happens when you get old, so don't get old. Um, oh, I, I, the, 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 whole, the whole notion of the application for us, going back to 911, going back to the hypocrisy, we cannot uh, just call upon God when it's, quote, necessary in our time. There's nothing wrong with calling upon God when it's necessary. Hebrews 4.16 says that we call upon him in time of need. But... The other thing, the third thing that I would point out, I think it's a really good point that Dan made, is that if you read passages uh, selected, it makes God look very cruel. God will not answer. I will not answer them. But you don't have the context that, that Dan painted for, uh, for us, Brother Chris, here. And I think that's really, really good observation. So thank you, Dan. Brother Chris. It's interesting to me that um, God allowed Samuel to speak to Saul. Like, God allowed all of that to happen. That, mm-hmm. That's not something that normally happened. Um, so I, I just, Absolutely. that strikes me that uh, after, especially with what you just said, that Saul was saying, God is not answering me. Well, God is kind of giving him an answer here. He, he is clearly giving him an answer now. So. That will be an interesting conversation in, e- in eternity with Samuel. You know, there's, you start, the older we get, the more conversations, at least for me, the more conversations I want to have with people from the Bible. Oh, yeah, I want to talk to him about this. Oh, yeah, I want to talk to her about that. And I want to talk to Samuel and say, what well, do you think? <laughs> I was enjoying my rest. 
<laughs> I got conjured up. But uh, I'll do what the Lord wants me to do. All right. I titled uh, chapter 29, David and the Philistines, part two. Chapter 27, in a word or two, what's the relationship between David and the Philistines? Cordial, good. Uh, they are see- Achish is seeing it as a beneficial thing, right? Things turn sour in chapter 29. It's a very brief chapter. We're not going to take the time to read it. But let me just make two or three uh, points. Um, going back to what Miss Sherry said uh, a few months Achish was deceived about David's intentions and about his behaviors and about his going and destroying foreign armies. Who was not deceived? The other leaders. The New King James, I think, uses the word lords, right? Uh, I think that's the word that Miss Sherry used as well. So uh, the, the other Philistine leaders uh, were not. Um, just for fun, verse 8, David said to Achish, What have I done, and to this day what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as what? As an angel. I just thought that was interesting. It just kind of goes along with our references uh, to our discussion of angels. I just thought that was interesting. Thoughts on that? I, I had no point really to make. Just I thought it was interesting. I was reading it. I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of neat. I never really noticed that before. Um, so note the comparison of David as an angel. And then David is allowed safe departure from the enemy. My Bible actually has little subheadings like you have in some of your Bibles as well. And mine actually talks about this being a rejection of David. I thought, well, that's probably fair to say that. Anything else on the text? I want to get to three key lessons and three key applications in our final six minutes or so here. Any, Any final thoughts? Okay, Um, I had asked Mitch, hey, what are the high points that you want to make sure that we've covered? We've covered them, but I actually just copy and pasted from Mitch's email. So this is this is like Mitch speaking to you tonight. Said he'd be more he'd be more fun than what I'd be. But uh, so these are the key things that Mitch had for each of the chapters. One. David conquered his fear of living with the Philistines and turned it into his advantage. I thought that was a really nice way of kind of summarizing chapter 27. That's a high point of chapter 27. That's what's happening here. Uh, I thought that was really good. Uh, 28, when we're dealing with the medium, Saul's fear, Saul's uncertainty, Saul's hypocrisy led him to make a foolish decision with a witch or with a sorcerer or with a soothsayer or with a medium, whatever the case may be. And uh, the third major lesson that Mitch wanted us to get was the dispute between the current Philistine king and his lords over David's presence and loyalty. So those are the three things he wanted us to cover. So next week, I want you to give Mitch a full report that we covered the three things that he wanted us to cover so that I get at least a passing grade from him. Any other major points before we get to applications? Yes, Miss Diana, all the way over here on your left. Keith? I'll just, I'll just say that. Okay. Does it bother you terribly about all the lies? Huh. That 
that, that, okay. So there's, there's, another, there's another kind of sub-thread through. Is David being truthful with Achish? Let's ask that question first. He's being, he's, at the very least, he's being deceptive. Now, I know there's, there's so is there a difference between being deceptive and being untruthful? I, there, there's maybe a fine line there depending on who you ask uh, and with the context in which you're talking about. Is David the only person to be untruthful with an authority in the Bible and God still grant him uh, his favor? And the answer there is no. We know of many leaders. Um, are you asking me or we uh, don't ask me, ask everyone. No, I'm kidding. Um, it, you're just making the point, right? Sure. Right. And, and yet the great, uh, complexity to the biblical story is going back to Carrie's point. Here we are a man after God's heart. Um, that doesn't mean that David was perfect, though, right? Because we know he makes mistakes. I'm teaching Second Samuel, so we're going to deal with the, the ugliest of the uglies. Um, and maybe this is a, uh, Miss Janita over here, precursor to that as well. I, I don't know. Um, so I'll just, uh, Miss Janita and then Mr. Carey. David never worshipped an idol. He always worshipped God. Okay. So there's something to be said about his object of worship. I think that's, that's very, very interesting to say. Um, Carrie. We can't forget about Abraham. Yep. And his, I mean, he did, repeated the same thing a couple of times. A couple of different times about his uh, about sister, right? His sister. Yep. About, yeah. So, but when you think about how the Bible portrays these great men and women of faith, he doesn't just show them, show us just the good right but often he shows us the good the bad and the ugly Mm -hmm. and that's the human perspective they're human just like we are right but yet god is able to show his grace and mercy yeah and that gives us confidence in the promises that god has given us through christ I i have often said the same thing and i'll quote it this way Remember that God doesn't just determine our spiritual, eternal, eternal fate on our weakest one-time events, but looks at the totality of our life. I'm not saying that God says, well, you did uh, 75% good, 25% bad, so that's good enough for me. I'm, that's not what I'm suggesting. But God doesn't take and say, well, you messed up here. I'm going to judge you on that one mess up. He takes everything, and, and I like the authenticity of the Bible being seen through the fact that these uh, men portray themselves in very truthful terms. Okay, very quickly here in 30 seconds or less. Key applications. One, like David, God blesses us and provides for us even in difficult circumstances, which is why we should trust him. Number two, past poor choices can come back to haunt us later in life, which is what Saul experienced. And number three, people can be deceptive and be deceived but never the Lord. All right, we're going to stop there because we are out of time. Thank you all very much for your comments. I sincerely appreciate it.